Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Francine Foss, Anish Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Foss is a professor of medicine in the section of medical oncology at the Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Chagpar is associate professor of surgical oncology and director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you could submit questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. This week, you'll hear a conversation about grief and bereavement with Bonnie Indeck and Andrea Lucibello. Bonnie is manager of oncology social work at Smilo Cancer Hospital, and Andrea is a social worker and coordinator of bereavement services at Yale New Haven. Here's Dr. Stephen Gore. So bereavement services, wow. Um, tell me about that. That's uh, obviously such an important uh, aspect, especially when we're talking about uh, cancer, not obviously not limited cancer. Mm-hmm. What, what do bereavement services consist of? Sure. Um, our bereavement services is actually part of the palliative care team. I'm a member of the palliative care team. And the uh, goal for bereavement services is to provide um, support and education to family members after the death of a loved one. And so how does that work? Um, do you get referred patients who are having trouble, or do you find out about all the patients who've had a loss, uh, all the families who've had Mm -hmm. a loss? Um, Well, it works many different ways. Um, Staff will refer families to me, and I will will contact them. Um, We also get folks who are interested in bereavement services and will contact us from the community. Hmm. Um, The support services that we offer are um, bereavement uh, seminars where folks, we offer folks education on uh, grief reactions. Um, we also offer uh, bereavement support groups. We do uh, telephone support, one-to-one meetings. We offer um, a holiday program, Hope for the Holidays, as well as our annual memorial service. Hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously anybody who has a loss is going to be doing some grieving, right? How do I know um, if I need a bereavement service? How do I know if my grieving is out of the ordinary or extreme? Um, You know, grief is actually a natural response to loss. Um, And it's, grief is universal, but um, every individual is different, how they experience grief. It's it's unique to the individual. So... um, and also to remember, too, that um, grief is, is not a linear process. Um, and so that's uh, what we do try to teach folks. And a lot of times when I'm working with folks, people will initially ask, so how long is this going to last? You know, how long am I going to be feeling like this? And what I tell folks is that it, it's, it can be a lifelong journey. However, with support um, and education and also um, learning how to uh, reinvest or rebuild a life after the loss of a loved one, um, it, it, the grief, the bereavement, the grief is not going to be as sharp or as painful as as it was when the death occurred. Mm-hmm. So you're available if I'm feeling uncomfortable, and it doesn't matter if I've been uncomfortable for a week or two oh, months or a year. It could be a year. Sometimes it could even be two years. Um, when um, when, a, when a person dies or loses a loved one, their world is thrown off balance, much like um, a mobile in a baby's crib. Mm-hmm. If it loses a piece, it's just thrown off balance. 
Um, and so for the first few weeks, um, folks are experiencing shock, disbelief. Um, it's very hard to wrap your mind around what's, what's just happened, um, the, the loss and the death of a loved one. But then as t um, bereavement goes on, time goes on, the mind, the psyche, the emotional state starts to realize this isn't going to change. This is very real. And so um, grief reactions can come in many different ways. Um, folks can experience physical distress. So it, grief might affect people um, through uh, stomach distress, headaches, um, chest pains, chest tightness. Um, there's also emotional reactions to grief besides sadness. It could be anger, guilt. Um, a lot of folks will tell me also um, uh, lack of joy, lack of being able to experience joy and being very frightened that they will never experience joy again. Hmm. So do you work with psychiatrists in or other mental health professionals outside of social work in terms of medication, or is that not really necessary for most patients? For most folks, um, they they probably will not need psychiatric medications. However, there um, is a group of folks um, who may experience complicated grief. And when someone experiences complicated grief, a lot of times some of the risk factors may, mean, may be that um, they have already been diagnosed with a psychiatric illness. Um, they may um, have... Uh, a, have had a history or currently um, have difficulties with substance abuse. Um, they may have had a conflicted relationship with their loved one. Mm. They may even have a physical illness. So um, what we want to be able to identify um, are folks who may be at risk for complicated grief. And then at that point, um, I would then refer out. I see. Yes. So, so let's take a more uh, sort of generic case um, if you could walk me through, I've, I've recently lost a loved one. Uh, I feel like, gee, I don't like the way I'm feeling. How am I going to find you? What are you going to do? What I'm a little afraid. I've never really been in therapy or anything. I, I don't work with people like you. And I'm feeling <laughs> I'm a guy, and so I'm a little, a little mm -hmm. afraid to admit that I'm crying a lot, let's just say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Not who I am, but. Right, right. Well, first I'm going, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about um, what other life stressors some, someone might be going through. Sure. Because that's another factor. Um, so um, if someone is having um, difficulties with health or unemployment or even um, job stressors, that's going to impact on grief. Um, where you're at in your life cycle um, is also going to affect grief. So if um, someone who's 20 comes to me and says that they've lost a parent, it's going to be a very different experience than someone who's 50 and, um, and who's, whose parent has died. Um, we're also going to look at um, your life experience as far as who taught you how to mourn, who taught you how to grieve um, in your family. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, tears as a man. And a lot of gentlemen that I work with um, have been taught they shouldn't cry around grief. And they're very uncomfortable with it. Um, there are times when they'll say to me, you know, I'm afraid to start because if I start, I'm afraid it's going to become a habit. Hmm. So we're trying to reframe um, some, some lessons that were learned um, earlier in life. And then also um, the, the relationship that the person had um, with, the, with the person who died. You know, that's also going to impact mm -hmm. um, the bereavement experience. So is this mostly one-on-one -on -one work? Uh, you mentioned you have some support groups. Right, right. No, we, um, we do offer um, support groups. And what we, what we 
um, like to have happen is that um, folks will come to a two-week bereavement seminar um, where we're teaching about um, natural grief reactions. Um, and then we're also um, teaching folks some of the skills we will be teaching them in the bereavement support group for the next seven weeks. So we have folks start for two weeks so that when we do start the group, everybody is on the same page. It's like once a week for two weeks? Um, once a week seminar? for two weeks. That's right. Okay. That's right. And then um, they'll join us for a seven-week seminar where um, they'll be learning uh, uh, skills, um, where we're looking at um, supports in people's lives, um, people, activities. Um, we're also looking at how people are rebuilding and reinvesting their life because people also, when they lose a loved one, and again, depending upon the loved one, they may be taking on new roles. So um, if, if a person loses their spouse, for example, they may become a single parent. They may have to learn um, the finances, how to do the financial management of the house. Um, they might have to, um, you know, have to negotiate home repairs, um, activities that they weren't used to doing. So we help folks um, make plans for um, these activities, any support we can give, and then um, also the support of the group, you know, because um, the other piece is that folks learn that they're not alone in their grief, and they learn and share resources with, with each other. So everyone has started at the same time in this group? So yes. Yeah, it's a closed-ended group. Got it. So yeah. everyone's a newbie and they all meet each other. How big is the group? Um, it ranges. It could be anywhere from five to eight, maybe ten people sometimes. Mm -hmm. And a variety of ages, I imagine. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. But um, And we try to um, organize the group around like losses so that folks can relate. So uh, it might be a widows and widowers support group. Oh, I see. You know. So it would be unusual to have uh, what you said about maybe a young adult who's lost a parent as well as the 50-year-old who's losing the parent. That that would not be in the same group, most likely? Um, no, it, it, it could be, be um, adults. Loss. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, because exactly. I would think that there yeah. would be some benefit to having the older person who's had a different life experience being able to share uh, with the younger person, I, I would think. I don't mm -hmm. know. It's not my area, obviously. Sure. No, but you're absolutely right that sometimes you can learn a lot from each other, and that's a benefit of support groups. Mm. You see that, you know, uh, somebody shares some information that for whatever reason you identify with, it clicks with you, and it really helps you to put things into place. So it is important to share with others who are going through similar situations. Yeah. What happens at the end of the seven weeks? Well, generally, um, people will um, become friends through the group. Um, and, and becomes almost a, a natural support, if you will, natural support network. Um, they could, um, you know, get together outside of group, be supportive mm. to each other. That's allowed. All, yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And um, do people have follow-up with you as well, or are most people doing – are most people pretty functional at the end of the seven weeks? Yeah, um, certainly we're available. I'm available if folks, um, as they go along, um, have questions or find that they're maybe going through a hard time. Um, but by the end of the seven weeks, people are realizing, okay, um, what I'm going through is normal. Um, there's nothing abnormal about, you know, what I'm experiencing or there's nothing wrong with me. Um, and um, and are able to, you know, continue on. Right. Some of the questions we get may be, 
I'm all alone in this. You don't understand. Nobody understands me. Um, many times people feel like they're the only ones that have suffered a loss. Mm-hmm. And um, while the loss, as Andrea said, is unique to that person, people can identify with what that person may feel. So listening to others is is very, very helpful, or just having a one-on-one with Andrea can be extremely helpful to put things into place for them, to recenter themselves. Yeah. No, I know uh, personally I lost my father at a very young age. Uh, I was 16, and uh, I always thought of myself as sort of my one peer who was parentless, uh, right. who didn't have a father, and that made me an, an ex- kind of an extraordinary case. And you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that over the years, as other people lost their parents, I, I took a little solace in that, that I mm-hmm. wasn't, I mean, it was kind of a sick kind of... <laughs> right. No, 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 well, no. You know, you feel guilty feeling that way, but, you know, well, there other so- people know this too now. Right. And there are all sorts of feelings that happen, including the fact that when you lose, no matter how old you are, when you lose your last surviving parent, many people will say, I'm an orphan, orphan now. Yes, I've heard that you a lot. You could be a 60-year-old orphan, but that's the way it feels because your parents have started you. You have things in common with them. They know your history like nobody else. And they love you unconditionally. So you have to help people to realize that your parents may still, and I say in quotes, be with you mm-hmm. without being there physically. Sure. And how can you make those memories last? How can you identify? What pictures can you put up that are meaningful to you? Um, oftentimes people will say, I've turned into my mother. Now I know because I've, I've heard her and I'm saying the same thing she is. And for some people, that's extremely comforting. Hmm. Well, this is a a really important conversation, and uh, we're going to continue it in a minute, uh, but right now we need to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about bereavement services with Bonnie and Andrea. It is estimated that over 200,000 men in the United States will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year, with almost 3,000 of these diagnoses here in Connecticut. One in six American men will develop prostate cancer in the course of his lifetime. Major advances in the detection and treatment of prostate cancer have dramatically decreased the number of men who die from this disease. Screening for prostate cancer can be performed quickly and easily in a physician's office using two simple tests, a physical exam and a blood test. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center, and at Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven, to test innovative new treatments for prostate cancer. The Artemis machine is a new technology being used at Smilo that enables targeted biopsies to be performed, as opposed to removing multiple cores from the prostate for examination, which may not be necessary. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined tonight by my guests, Bonnie Indek and, and Andrea Lucibello. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we are discussing uh, bereavement and bereavement services. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you before the break um, was whether you have services that help um, or that can uh, engage uh, supports, familial supports, say, of the grieving person, the spouse. Uh, sometimes I, I think they don't know what to do to, to help their partner, uh, whether it's a spouse or a mm-hmm. partner or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And even um, friends, a lot of times in the um, 
in the groups, folks will be talking about how um, a lot of times um, they don't hear from family or friends, and um, it can be lonely. So what I encourage folks to do, um, uh, spouses, friends of people who are grieving, is to reach out. Um, reach out and listen. Um, a lot of times, um, f- all folks have to do, f- I think people will feel that they might have to fix. And with with grief, there is no fixing. But listening can be an incredible gift that they give to their loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, um, people can send cards, um, invite folks to events that you used to invite them to and let them decide whether or not um, they would like they would like to attend. And the other piece is um, allow folks to grieve. You know, sometimes um, folks will say, um, you know, to not to allow them to cry, allow your loved one to cry if they need to cry, um, and to um, and to not be afraid of that. Yeah. You know, just to be there, just to be present, and to listen is is a huge gift to, to give to someone who's grieving. I know so often people want to make things better, yeah. and um, you know whether they bring in some theological thing, well, he's an angel or whatever mm-hmm. this, or he'll always be there. And that's it seems to me not always what the grieving person wants to hear. They don't really want to hear anything to make it better, it mm-hmm. seems to me. They just want and, and a lot to say time, how they're feeling. Right, and a lot of times that can be experienced as invalidating of the grief, too. Mm-hmm. Invalidating. Yeah, and typically, uh, cliches don't work. So you're going to be okay in a month, don't worry, you'll get through this, you'll meet somebody else, um, or, you know, you have another child. Oh, that's a um, horrible one. Well, that is, they're all pretty horrible, yeah. actually, to the person who's grieving, but yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. So what Andrea says about just pulling up a chair, um, listening, having a shoulder that the person can cry on, inviting them, continuing to reach out is really the most beneficial that can be. And, and is the general question sort of how are you is, or how are you feeling or what do you recommend? Just an sure. open-ended. Just an open, yeah. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Right. And if a person yeah. wants to talk, they'll talk, they, they will talk. And if they don't. Leave them alone. You got it. Don't constantly push. But remember to ask occasionally. Mm. Um, because otherwise people may feel alone as well. This one doesn't care. They never ask me. But that doesn't mean that the person wants to talk all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just want somebody to sit with them. Mm. Um, but more often than not, people will talk, mm-hmm. and they'll tell you exactly what it is they're feeling and how much they lo- lo- um, miss their loved one. And that can be so helpful just to know that there's somebody there listening. I liked what you said about the invite them over and so on. I've heard so often uh, when people have been involved as a couple in a couple relationship that all of a sudden they're not going out to dinner or they're no longer invited to theater and that uh, feels so, um, I don't know, so left out or... Isolating. Isolating. with yeah. Right. I think we're a couple society and if you've lost a spouse and all of a sudden you're a third or a fifth wheel, um, people... Uh, read that. And so they don't invite you sometimes. And sometimes people are threatened by that. Who knows what's in some people's minds? So mm. they just stop inviting. And um, if you don't, you know, you don't want to invite somebody to a show, for instance, because in the beginning, that would be really hard to do. But invite them to come over for a cup of coffee, or see if you can go to their house for a cup of coffee, um, something of that nature to just slowly bring the person back into life again. Because as Andrea alluded to, the person who is grieving has to reinvest themselves in life. And in the beginning, that feels extremely difficult. It is a very 
very heavy load. You still have all the emotional um, stuff going on with the person you've lost in a way, and, and now you're saying, put that on hold and I have to meet new people and do new things? I'm not ready. Mm. So reinvesting can be difficult. Yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the role of pastoral care or religious rituals or religious community, faith communities, if, if people have them? What if people don't have them? Mm-hmm. You know, we um, we talk about rituals, and um, rituals can can be as creative as what the individual wants them to be. Um, they're very important around um, holidays, special days, um, you know, anniversaries, birthdays. And um, they they can look in many different ways. So um, f- I've had some folks celebrate birthdays with an actual party where mm. they will actually have a cake for the person. Um, sometimes they honor the person with a special food. That might happen a lot at holidays. Um, sometimes also um, people buy a gift, the, the money that they would use um, to buy a gift for their loved one. They would buy the gift and then donate it perhaps to a loved one's mm-hmm. um, special interest something like that. Right. And sometimes people want to make new traditions for the first mm-hmm. year following yes. a death. So Thanksgiving, when everybody used to get together, they say, you know, I'm not ready for that this year. Let's go out to dinner. Mm. Next year, we'll continue to, you know, pull it together at home. Um, but spiritual care is an extremely important part of bereavement. And um, I think chaplains play a very large role in this. And um, it's helpful when somebody does have a belief system. But even if they don't, I think that that there are people who are spiritual who may not be religious. Sure. So, so how do we reach out to them? I and mean, what kind of how how do they get engaged with that? Is that do you have any thoughts about that? I'm just thinking, even within the group aspect, or even when you're doing one to one work, mm. it becomes a sacred space. I always call it that. Um, and I think that sense of community, the sense that you're not alone, um, connects with um, the spiritual piece yeah, no, and bringing people It makes in. a lot of sense because whenever you talk about these things that are so private, um, it does have a certain sanctity, I think, and people mm-hmm. do feel that, at least I've been in situations like that, that, that feel very connected. Mm-hmm. And the importance of it being a safe space, too, where, where the feelings can be brought out, you know, whatever those feelings might be. Well, how do you do that? How, how do you, these people don't know each other when they come to the group. How do you, how do you get them there? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the um, as people share their stories, as people share their stories, they they hear um, the commonalities. Um, they are respectful to to the differences, but also um, the feelings that that people are expressing, um, the tears that people are expressing, and I think it it opens it opens the heart. And I think that's that's how the space is created. They create the space too, you know. So. But Andrea is a certified grief specialist, so she has the skill of being able to do that. She's run many groups, mm. and um, you know there does take a skill in being a group facilitator. I would and think Andrea so. has it. Mm-hmm. So great. Well, then we're very fortunate to have you. That's got to take a toll of dealing with people who with, with loss all the time. Mm. How does, do you feel that? You know. Um, Folks, folks comment about that. Well, you know, when you tell you go to a party and you tell them what you do for a living. Oh you kind of, wow! <laughs> it's like, what do you okay. do for fun, right? <laughs> right. So, but what I always tell folks is um, the healing process to me it brings hope. 
You know, um, when you meet with folks and you see um, how the healing takes place, even if it's and, and a lot of, sometimes it's a, it's one step at a time, but there's hope. And as long as there's hope, um, it, it's for me, it's. It's it's wonderful. It, yeah. it, it energizes. Well, you know, I, yeah. I can totally relate because, of course, people come to me in my role as a leukemia physician and, and ask me the same, how can you deal with that since so many people will die of leukemia, although fortunately we're curing more, many more mm-hmm. than we used to. And I feel that dealing with the, the dying process um, – and preparing the patient and their family for it. To me, that's among the most highly privileged things that I do as a physician. And uh, and I, mm-hmm. uh, it's not always easy, but it really is. A, that's a very sacred place for me to be. That's right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, a lot of this work gives us opportunities uh, that we are so lucky to have because not privileged, really. It, it yeah. is. It is a privilege. It really is, and it's an honor to be able to help people with some of this very, very challenging work. And you have a very hard job, and you do it quite well. So um, you know, people are very lucky to have you. Well, thank you. Um, the uh, you know, I think one of the things that I'm very proud of uh, at Smilo, and of course, I, I've spent. Um, 23, 26 years really at another equally fine institution. I do think that uh, the the caring um, environment and culture at Smilo uh, I find to be um, spectacular. I'm I'm very proud of it. Um, And, you know, I've I've noticed that over a year. I can't take credit for it, but it's – and I think that uh, having things like bereavement services and qualified grief counselors, that's obviously part of it. And the whole palliative care thing, this is really a – a terrific thing to have for our patients, I think, and their families. Do, do, do families uh, tend to stay in touch with you? Um, or some is it probably all over the board? Some yes, some no. Some yes, some no. But um, it's always wonderful when you meet them in the community. You know, um, when you um, they're ha- we're happy to see each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times they'll continue to talk about what how they've how they're doing, what they what they have been doing, how life has changed. I got a card just today from somebody who says, I can't believe, but it's five years since Mm -hmm. I lost my husband Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. still wrote a lovely, lovely card updating me on everything that's going on with her family. And so I think people do connect and build relationships and keep in touch. Yeah, I love that myself. Yeah, it's great. See the kids growing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me about the, the annual memorial service. So we do have a memorial service that is for anybody who has died um, at the hospital, and we invite families and friends to come. And it's a time where you can – we typically have a um, a couple of family members talk a little bit about their experience – but it's a time where we do some rituals and allow people to come back together again with some caregivers and really just connect and thank and follow up and see how things are. It's a very healing time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we wait a period of time. If you've just lost someone, you won't be necessarily invited to this year's. We may wait till next year because we want you to be um, – past the very acute phase of the first month or so. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we'll ask you to come and share your stories. And it's been a time that's been very rewarding for social workers to be at, to help families afterwards, to catch up, to hear how they're doing, and know that life does go on. Mm. So it's wonderful. That sounds like a really 
special time. It is. It is. Yeah. Do people come back in subsequent years, or is this kind of a um, anniversary type, a one-year anniversary type yeah, of thing? Yeah, pretty much more one year. Sometimes somebody may come for two, but we um, do some outreach only to those who have uh, pa- to the families of those who have passed away in uh, recent months. Hmm. So. Yeah, in my previous. Uh, uh, cancer center. They they had a, a similar thing that was sort of um, an ongoing yearly thing that any number you know people would come from even fourteen right. to fifteen years. A different mm-hmm. different flavor, yeah. uh, and that was also very very special. And the, I think one of the most spectacular things we do is we do a lot of m- memorial services on the units for staff mm. because staff feel the grief as well. And I know we haven't focused on that today, but we want an opportunity for staff to talk about people who they've lost, who they've loved. We have a lot of compassionate caregivers, and um, it's really wonderful when they have the opportunity to touch base to to see how they've touched the lives of so many. Hmm. And that typically is co-facilitated by social work and spiritual care on the units. That's great. Yeah. Do you guys work with Connecticut Hospice at all or, or any of the hospice organizations, or is that kind of a whole separate a whole separate? Well, we always collaborate, but um, when it comes to bereavement, um, hospice has their own programs as we do, but we would collaborate, mm-hmm. absolutely. Bonnie Indeck is manager of oncology social work at Smilo Cancer Hospital, and Andrea Lucibello is a social worker and coordinator of bereavement services at Yale New Haven. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program, and we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.